Hey, Nothing Is Wasted family, before we dive into this podcast episode, I just want to make an announcement that I'm super excited about. We are finally going to Israel, and I want to invite you to come with us. Christy and I would love to extend an invitation for you to come with us to Israel. We were supposed to go back in October of 2020, and we all know what happened there, and we have delayed this trip for some time because of all the travel restrictions, but the good news is, is as of March of this past year, all the travel restrictions were lifted for Israel. All of the requirements, vaccination requirements, all of that sort of thing were completely lifted. So we're going to go to Israel in May of 2023. The trip is May 29th through June 6th of 2023. If you want to find out more information about that, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. But let me just say this. There are frequently people will ask me questions about when was the turning point in my healing journey. And six months after my late wife was killed, I was invited on a trip to Israel with a church that really surrounded me during that season. And that is, I can look back on, that is the major critical turning point of my healing journey. For the first time, uh, color was beginning to come back into my life. And I can't necessarily explain all the reasons why, but I think it had something to do with walking in the places that Jesus walked, learning about nuances of scripture that I had not seen before, and particularly seeing the theme of pain and suffering all throughout the biblical narrative and the historical narrative. And that was the first time I saw that. And so it really changed my perspective on this world, on God, on my particular tragedy that I was walking through. And so I vowed when I left that trip that I was going to take people back to experience the same thing that I experienced, to have some of those huge aha healing moments. So this trip is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enlightening. It's going to be healing. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be challenging. It's just going to be an amazing time. So Christy and I would love to invite you to come to Israel with us in 2023. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash Israel to find out all the information about this trip. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davy Blackburn. And unfortunately, Aubrey is not going to be joining me uh, today for this episode. And um, just wanted to make sure that you guys were aware of something that's going on in, in her life. She actually just recently lost her best friend, uh, best friend in, in the world. She has grown up essentially with this woman. And um, this, the, this woman, Jen, just lost um, a battle to cancer. Now, of course, you know, you can frame that up. I just, I, as I say that, lost a battle to cancer. Um, man, we, we, we believe that even in Christ, even she's victorious. But I know that this is sitting so heavy on Aubrey and she, um, you know, she is really, really struggling and, and devastated over this loss as any of us would be. And so I just want to say this to our nothing is wasted community that be in prayer for her. I know she's posted some things on her Instagram about this, but please just lift up the family and be in prayer for her. Um, and, and we'll definitely miss her in this episode. We've got a great conversation today with Adam Young. Um, man, I, this, 
Adam Young just kicking off kind of a, uh, or helping us kick off. We had a great conversation last week too with Julie Thomas, but help, helping us kick off a 2023. Um, I don't want to waste any time. We spend quite a bit of time with Adam talking about some some things and what he does, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. First, Adam is a licensed clinical social worker with a master degree. Uh, well, master's degrees in social work and divinity. So here's what I love about this. Adam, and you'll find this in the conversation, masterfully, masterfully shows us the convergence of God's word and neuroscience. I mean, it's incredible. He currently serves as a fellow with the Allender Center and is the host of the Place We Find Ourselves podcast, which is a prolific podcast. I'm sure many of you guys already listened to that. If you haven't, you need to go check it out. Um, and so I want, without further ado, I want you to tune into my conversation with Adam Young. Adam, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. You are welcome. It's good to be here. Well, man, um, I know our content producer, her name is Catherine. She was absolutely geeked out when you agreed to say yes to come and join us on this conversation. And um, she's the one that's turned me on to your work. She's told me a ton about what you do and the things. That, and so just diving into it, I'm, I'm ecstatic that we get to have this conversation. I know that it's going to benefit so many people. I know your voice is already benefiting so many people. For those who are not familiar with Adam Young, will you just tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from, kind of what 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 is your sure. what does your life look like? And then we're gonna this is gonna be a unique episode because I don't know if we're gonna get much into your story unless we want to. But I'd love to just hear some of the things that you're doing as you're working with people, and we're gonna ask a bunch of questions. Okay. I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is an hour north of Denver. I am a therapist and a podcaster. So I have a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves that's been going for about four plus years now. Um, and the podcast largely grew out of the fact that I was a pastor without a pulpit, a preacher without a pulpit, mm. and um, wanted to missed preaching, missed speaking. And so the podcast grew out of the fact that I had lots of things to say and no venue to say it. <laughs> um, I was in Atlanta bones, right? when the podcast, yeah, the fire in my, that's exact, that's perfect analogy. Yes. Our scripture reference, fire in my bones. I was in Atlanta when the podcast kind of became an idea. That's where I started my therapy practice, but moved to Fort Collins about five years ago. Mm. Um, I'm a husband to Caroline, and I've got a daughter who's a freshman in high school and a son who is a sixth grader. Wow. Wow. Man, that's, um, I feel like that, that, that fire in your bones is something that you just can't escape, right? If it's a, it's a, it's a calling and, um, and usually the, the litmus test of that is, does it start to gather people or people being ministered to by what you're saying. And, and I think that that is absolutely 100% the, you know, the, the, the evidence is there for that. Adam, I appreciate your voice and your work. You know, you do a ton of work with story, which is something that we talk about a lot with our nothing is wasted community is just the, the power of leaning into your story, engaging with your story. Um, 
I'm curious before we dive into why you do work like, or you know, what what that work is. I'm curious as to to why that has become such a pivotal part of what you do. Why why did story become such a big deal for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I can answer it personally and then professionally. Personally, story became such a big deal to me because in my mid thirties, I was. Um, in a lot of emotional pain and could not figure out how to make sense of my life and mm. how to experience freedom from anxiety, uh, depression, um, relationship problems, problems with God. I mean, you know, ever since college, I had such a hunger to understand how the stuff I read about in the Bible or hear about at church um, actually played out in my life because I, I wasn't experiencing abundant life. Um, yeah. I wasn't experiencing freedom. Um, and about 35, somewhere in there, um, somebody introduced me to a book called The Wounded Heart by Dan Allender. Mm. And I read it cover to cover. And nothing explained the landscape of my heart better than that book. And so I flew out to Seattle to be with this man for something called Recovery Week for men that have been sexually abused. And that was really my introduction to story. I didn't know that I, I wouldn't have told you I had a story as a 35-year-old until my uh, time with Dan at Recovery Week. So, wow. so personally, beginning to look at my story uh, changed my life more mm. than anything else. Um, it began to give me uh, kind of not just an imagination for healing, but like an experience of healing and experiences of freedom and um, and life. Um, and so that was it personally. Um, but the reason I'm so, pa the other reason I'm so passionate about story is like professionally, like from a perspective of neuroscience, the integration of narratives, by which I mean, making sense of your life experiences in a narrative arc is absolutely essential for healing to occur in your brain that that's a neuroscience discovery that's not a, you know a christian claim though yeah. it is very christian <laughs> right <laughs> um and, and so I, the other reason i'm just passionate about story is frankly because you know as a therapist you get trained in lots of different therapeutic modalities, i.e. ways of doing therapy. And some work better than others. And none of those modalities or approaches, uh, in my experience, work better than what we call story work. Mm. Mm. Why, why is it that you wouldn't have described your life as having a story? What, what was it that was kind of, is this, you just didn't have a framework for it? You never, no frame of reference? Like you just didn't, or what was it that, blocked you from No, it's worse than that. Okay. Yeah. I would have said I would have, so as a sophomore in high school, I went up to my dad's my mom and dad's bedroom. My mom was asleep. My dad's on his bed doing, you know, work from the day. Um, nine o'clock at night. And I said to my dad, Dad, so many of my friends come from either divorced homes or they're in the parents are in the midst of a divorce or they've got a sibling on drugs. Why is our family so good and healthy when so many of my friends' families are not? 
Hmm. Now, I was saying that as somebody who had been physically abused by my father, terrorized by him, and sexually abused by my mother. As a sophomore in high school, I asked that question. So the point I'm trying to make wow. is we all think our stories are normal because it's what we grew up in. It was normal wow. for you. Whatever you experienced, if you experienced abuse, it is very unlikely that you're going to think of that as abuse. You're just going to think of it as that's the way stuff was in my family. And so, you know, fast forward my sophomore year to a 35-year-old man, I, I would have told you that I came from a good Christian home, you know? I would have said that my mother was the gift from God to kind of soothe the violence from my father. And that narrative was actually backwards. It wasn't mm. untrue. It just was pointing in the wrong direction. It made my mother into an angel when, in fact, she was actually orchestrating most of the abuse in our home. So as a 35-year-old, I had no sense of, I have been traumatized. Yeah. No sense of that. Wouldn't have said that. So then it began manifesting itself and you, and yes. you couldn't understand why. And that's what led you to that's go, right. I, I got it. There's something that's not here. And all of a sudden the dots were being put together. Yes. Yes. Wow. wow. So as you dove into story work, with in this this retreat especially and I love how you said experiential healing right it, it became more than just a cerebral know-how which often yes. that's where the church lives right the church lives in this cerebral yeah it's not it's not yeah. it's not a bad thing right God look we need okay truth and God's word and we need to know the truth and the truth will set us free and I've hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against all these things right that's good for us to know God's word but I think sometimes we underplay the value of what you just talked about and experiencing healing from a living God, right? And understanding our story. Yes. Talk about your encounter with that then and why was that so pivotal for you to dive into to all of this? Do you mean talk about my experience of healing or my experience of yeah. God? Well, maybe both, but both? I don't know how they're intertwined, but especially particularly pertain to this aha moment or this season that you had where you went off to this retreat and you're like, whoa, you know, right. and then leading you on that journey. What, what, what was that? Unpack that a little bit more because people, they're listening well, to this. Some people there don't have a frame of reference for an experiential healing, right? They're like, I know this, I know this, okay. but we've said this, they, you experience it. What do you mean by that? Right? Yeah. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. We are, because of God, embodied creatures, all right? Western evangelical type Christians need to come to terms with that. We are embodied. And that means that we don't just have a brain above our neck. We have all manner of physical sensations coursing through our bodies all the time. Mm. Those physical sensations tell the truth about our heart. Mm. And by that, I mean what we desire and what breaks our heart. Wow. Our desires and our disappointments. Those physical sensations tell the truth about our idolatries and where we actually have immense love for God. 
but our mm. cognitive thoughts don't tell a lick about the true nature <laughs> of our hearts. I mean, anybody can, wow. you know, sign a creedal doctrinal statement. It, it doesn't. It doesn't tell me anything about your heart. Nothing. What wow. tells me about your heart is the sensations in your gut, your chest, your throat, as you are talking about your heartaches, your tragedies, your traumas. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody put it that way, but that is exactly true. Because often, you know, and, and I don't know where, you know, this, where you might say this would break down, but so many times you're going to hear pastors talk about the importance of preaching truth to yourself, right? And in yep. some ways, based mm -hmm. on what you're saying, in some ways that seems like it could be very, very helpful, but in some ways it could also seem like it's a little bit of a whitewash solution. Well, here's where it gets dangerous. And I just know this personally. I mean, for years I would have anxiety and I would say, Adam, Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. Trust God. Your anxiety is telling you something about your idolatries. You need to put your faith in God. And I would say that to myself. Mm -hmm. And none of those sentences are untrue. However, they were allowing me to literally avoid what I was anxious about. Mm. Anxiety, depression, any emotion, any felt sensation in our bodies is telling us a truth about our heart and about our story, which is to say about what we want and about what has happened to us in life, in the world. Mm. And so emotions, sensation, which are first physical sensations in the body, emotions tell you the truth about who you are and, and who you worship. And if I'm using a verse of the Bible to allow me to not be curious about what I'm feeling and wow. why I'm anxious, for example, uh, then that's just working against the kingdom of God in my heart. Wow. Wow. Man, this is like paradigm shifting, Adam, like for so many of us, because in the church, consistently emotions have been made an enemy, right? That's uh, like the villain. The, yeah. In the white evangelical American church. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then as a matter of fact, as a matter yeah. of fact, let, let me just, let me, something just popped to mind, Davey. When I was in college, mm -hmm. there was a very famous uh, illustration kind of in the evangelical circles I ran in. And it was a little train with three train. cars on it. Yep. And what's that? Yep, the train. Very it. familiar with it. Yep, and the absolutely. first, the, the, the train, the first car said facts. Mm -hmm. The second car, the middle car said faith. And the, the caboose said feelings. Mm. And the idea when this was preached about was that I am to put my faith in the facts of the Bible and then my feelings will get in line with that. Mm. Now, as a as somebody who just had such a deep love for God in college, that tormented me because my feelings weren't getting weren't they were tormenting that I was in mm. pain. They that I you know they weren't good. 
And so I felt ashamed and guilty that I wasn't putting my faith in the facts mm. of Scripture. And look, that illustration, I mean, we could talk about that for an hour, but it is, well, frankly, it's diabolical. It's mm. di And here's what I mean by diabolical. It is of the kingdom of darkness because feelings are our first, and by the first, I mean quickest in our brain, mm -hmm. uh, experience of anything in the present. Mm. Before we think a thought, we can't. It's not, this is not a choice. Your cognitive brain, your prefrontal cortex, does not come online until you have already felt something mm. about a difficult interaction, a conflict, a joyful sunset, anything. You wow. feel first. Wow. Then you can think about the Bible. And I'm not saying don't think about the Bible. I'm just saying, look, let's be honest about how the body works. Yeah. You feel first. Hey, friends, I can't tell you how many times we've had someone write in or message us asking us for a list of the podcast episodes and resources we have on a particular topic or pain point. In fact, just the other day, someone asked me, hey, can you point me to all the episodes you guys have on sexual betrayal? Because unfortunately, this person had just recently discovered that this was now part of their story. We get this question so much that we decided to do something about it to make it easier for you. Rather than wading through our entire library of very inspirational content, if I may say so myself, how about if we just give you a list of everything that we have on a particular topic you're looking for? We've done that, we've built some of these lists, and we call these lists Curated Pathways. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place that will speak directly to what you're experiencing right now or what a friend or a family member is experiencing. We've packaged this in an easy way for you to consume it, you to access this material, or for you to send it over to a friend or family member you know who's experiencing a particular pain point right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, master classes, live coaching, and everything in between. Let's be honest, when you're facing a crisis, a loss, or a trauma, you just don't have the time or the energy or emotional bandwidth to search for what could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways, so that you can more directly and quickly access the resources that you need. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways are all about by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire Curated Pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted Curated Pathways. As a Community Plus member, you'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows and as we release those. Our team has been working very hard to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you, to your friends, to your family, because we know what it's like to face pain and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus 
or get a little taste of our curated pathways at nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. Both of those links are here in the show notes. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And we're committed to giving you resources that will help you do just that. So then how do we, you know, there's so much of even the story work, right? If we go back to that, what we originally started with yeah. is this idea of rewriting some of that mm-hmm. to aid in mm-hmm. the healing process or, or to, to create space yes. for that healing process to happen. But then also yes, it's supposed to then affect our emotions to some level, right? Absolutely. So where do we, yep. so where that, where that metaphor breaks down, then where do we, where do we right size that? How do we, how do we rewrite the, you know, the feelings or what we're experiencing, the truth that our feelings are telling us about what we truly believe? How do we begin to rewrite some of that stuff? Well, the first step to rewriting your story is naming what has been true. And in biblical language, that's the word confession. So in the mm. Greek, confess is homo legeo, homo sameness legeo speaking. So what it means is to speak sameness with God about the world, about reality, about the past, about the present, about my heart, confess. So an invitation to engage your story is merely an invitation to confess, mm. to speak sameness with God about what has been true for you, particularly in your family of origin. And that's the starting point of rewriting a story. Naming naming what has been true is actually, it's more than 50% of the battle to healing. And mm. I don't even like the word battle. It's more than 50% of the journey to healing. Just, yeah. just naming, right. just confession. We haven't, we haven't even moved into kind of like living differently or, or experiencing di- or making different choices. None of that, just the naming of what mm. actually happened truthfully. Because frankly, most of us live life with illusions. Barbara Kingsolver has a great line in the Poisonwood Bible where she says that, uh, let me get it right, um, illusion mistaken for truth is the pavement under our feet. It is what we call civilization. Now that is a prophetic sentence. Illusions mistaken for truth are the pavement under our feet. Nowhere is that more true than with regard to every single person's individual story, unless you've engaged your story. Yeah. Well, and then to your point, like what you said earlier, you have to not only engage your story, but kind of engage it and measure it in some ways against, and maybe I'm not hearing you correctly, but measure it against what is actually true, right? Because earlier you said like your story came out as like, this is, this is what my, this is my story, right? That mm-hmm. my, my dad was abusive. My mom was yep. kind of helping to assuage the, but then as you begin to engage with it, you realize that's not actually true. That was just, that's right. That's right. Your perception of that. That's right. And I needed, other voices to do that. In other words, nobody can engage their story by themselves. 
they have to share parts of their story with trusted, wise guides who can then mm. speak into their story with both curiosity, kindness, some measure of confrontation in order for the naming to go from illusion to truth, truthfulness. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing, Adam. Okay. So who are those guides? Like, I mean, is that just, I mean, it can't just be anybody because they've got to, they've got to have some measure of nope. like what you just said, some, even some measure of training or experience in yes. doing this, right? Well, who, who would that be? Yeah, that's absolutely right. <laughs> that is the question of the hour. So, <laughs> um, there are people, um, uh, that um, my first experience with these people was through the Allender Center, named after mm. Dan Allender. Uh, these were these are people who have been trained to um, engage narratives of harm, particularly in one's family of origin. In other words, mm. they've been trained about how to name me well, given the stories I share about my growing up years. Mm. This training has... Uh, is I don't want anyone to hear that this training is synonymous with getting a LPC, licensed professional counselor, or for me, I'm a social worker, licensed clinical social worker, or a PhD in psychology. I do not care about any of that training or those credentials. It's not that I don't care about the training. I wish the training programs were a lot better. But those mm. training pr programs and the alphabet soup you get after your name in no way qualifies you to do this work. In wow. no way. Wow. What qualifies you to do this work is engagement of your own story, mm. engagement of your God in the midst of your heartaches, honest, authentic, psalm-like engagement of God, and some measure of supervision, i.e. other people watching you do work who are better at it than you and training you. That's mm. what qualifies you for this work. Wow. Where do you find those people? <laughs> that is the question of the hour. <laughs> yeah, it really is because, I mean, there are probably a lot of people listening to this that they have almost given up on the idea of counseling yes. or that counseling could work for them because. Yeah. Yes, yeah. There's so many variables for who could be a appropriate and, and, and right rightly matched counselor for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yep. here, here's um, I'd love to I'd love to kind of jump into to this right here because we've you got to find the right person, right? You have to find the right guide that's experienced. Mm -hmm. But one of the things too that I feel like needs to happen, and this has kind of been this has kind of been a fresh thought, but I I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um. Trauma has become now, fortunately, has become something that people are talking about. 15, 20 years ago, yep. especially in the church world, it wasn't being talked about. So I'm grateful that we're actually addressing right. this now. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't have talked about it until I walked through what I did seven years ago. It wasn't part of my mm -hmm. vocabulary or even something like it just, I had a, a wonderful upbringing. You know, we talk about family of origin, a great mm -hmm. family. Okay. And so I just didn't, it wasn't part, but then I saw in my own life what the effects, the effects of that traumatic experience and then the ensuing grief that I was dealing with 
what that did yes. to me. And then it put me in That's circles right. with other people who were, you know, there was a lot of solidarity. Other people were going through really difficult things. And now this entire ministry that's built out with people who are, who are coming to say, okay, I've gone through these really difficult things. You, ha- you have to have the answers for me. So I'm the first to, to say you've got to address trauma and lean into it. But it feels like trauma can also become kind of just a buzzword that we just place as well mm-hmm. onto maybe minor inconveniences or discomforts in life, right? Mm-hmm. How would you draw mm-hmm. the line of demarcation yeah. to say, all right, mm-hmm. hey guys, this is trauma. This is what you would categorize mm-hmm. as trauma. And this right here is kind of some yep. normal pressures or distresses of life that every human being is going to right. deal with. Is there a line of demarcation to what degree? Yeah. I'm sure it's on a continuum. Oh, yes. Uh, it, absolutely. There's a difference between adversity and trauma. Trauma requires two things to be true. Number one, powerlessness to move your body or use your voice in such a way as to make the bad thing stop happening. So for something to be traumatic, you have to have some experience of deep powerlessness. You can't use your voice or move your body to make the bad thing stop happening. Mm. Number two, abandonment by potentially protective caregivers. In other words, for something to be traumatic, you, you so here's Bessel van der Kolk's the uh, conic trauma mm-hmm. expert yep. who says a really helpful illustration. He says, look at 9-11, they've done lots of research on the folks that were at ground zero on 9-11. The ones that could run home and have significant other loved ones, receive them, hold them, cry with them, process their emotions with them, tell the story, narrate it, those folks were not traumatized. So there is a difference. A lot of people don't understand this. There is a difference between a a harsh event harmful event and something becoming at what's called embedded trauma. Trauma has nothing to do with the event, nothing. Trauma is about what happens in your body after the bad event when there is not sufficient care. Mm. So adversity, you know, I mean, adversity is adversity. Everyone experiences some yeah. measure of adversity. That's not trauma. Trauma is the powerlessness and the abandonment, which is really to say betrayal by people who should have been there for you and weren't. Mm. So if we, if we thread these two conversations together, then, you know, this idea of your recognizing your own story, especially going back to family of origin, mm-hmm. compound that with some kind of an experience of trauma, then mm-hmm. I guess what I'm I guess what I'm wondering is people experience trauma and maybe they're like an actual event, some kind of tragedy, loss, you know, na- name it whatever mm-hmm. whatever category we want to name it, but th- they're they're going to experience more uh of the outworking of that or they're going to experience that trauma through the lens of all of the other things that have taken place throughout their life in their family of origin, right? Yes. 
Yes. And that is a very important sentence. Because what you're saying, Davey, is that the way the brain operates is it filters all present experiences, including harmful, you know, possibly traumatic ones, right. through the lens of what you have already experienced in the world, particularly when you're really, really young and your brain is forming its foundational ways of experiencing and interpreting the world and growing at a very rapid rate, which is the first two to three years of your life. So none of us experience the world and reality as it is. That you, mm. you, you can't do that because you have neurons, and that's not how neurons operate. Neurons interpret present experience based on their past experiences. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> It, that and that just, it's just so wild to me, right? That like we can't experience things absolutely true. So we need things outside of our own experience to give us the barometer for what is absolutely true. Yeah, and this, of course, I mean, yeah, it is it is kind of uh, unsettling, but it also <laughs> can relieve a whole lot of pressure, for example, in a mm. marriage relationship. I mean, most marriages know what it's like to fight about the same two or three things for two decades. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not because everyone is dumb. There's something else going on. It's not, it's because, it's because the two partners, the two spouses have, they are interpreting the same event very differently. That's because they each have neurons and their neurons mm -hmm. are working. <laughs> Okay, but some some people, some couples specifically, if we're going down this road, they're able to uh, recognize those things. They're able to yes. process yes. through those, begin to see yes. from the other person's perspective. But like, how does that get, like, yes. how do you do that? You know what I mean? Because I, there's a lot of us who are listening to this right now and we're going, hey, I resonate with that, right? I've yeah. experienced trauma. You've experienced trauma. Gosh, you know, my my wife and I now, we both came together blending a family, both having experienced our own version of trauma in our past. Her, a childhood, longstanding childhood trauma with abusive dad and me losing my wife in an extremely traumatic way. And so we see this manifest in our relationship where we're like, we're bringing yeah. really broken stories into what on some days we would say an absolutely beautiful relationship. And on others, in other days, we'd say it's a hot mess. How right. do we begin to even start with recognizing those things and, 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 and start mm -hmm. to untangle that a little bit, you know, in the yeah. midst of the yeah. pressures of life. Yes. Fantastic question. Um, the starting point is paying attention to what's happening in your bodies. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Whenever you are engaged in some measure of disagreement or conflict with your spouse, your body will get what's called dysregulated. In other words, you'll either kind of start to amp up into kind of anxious, panic, angry mode, or you'll tend to like kind of shut down, detach, go numb, distant, dissociated. Mm -hmm. Each 
of those ends of the spectrum are what's called dysregulated bodies, dysregulated affect. And our dysregulation, which is hap happens many, many times a day, tells the truth about what's called implicit memory. It tells us the truth of our stories. It tells us how our brains have been shaped to anticipate around every bend. So mm -hmm. we respond far more to facial expression and tone of voice than to words. Yeah. She, your, your wife gets a look on her face and a tone in her voice and you're a part of your brain called your limbic system reacts to that. That reaction will tell you the truth about your story if you are curious about it and can slow down enough to pay attention to it. Mm. So the starting point to what you're asking, Davey, is slowing down enough to notice what's happening in my body when I get dysregulated and then to be curious about why am I feeling what I'm feeling about her facial expression or tone of voice? Hmm. It seems like it's a skill, right? That has to be it cultivated. Is. It doesn't seem like yes. something that would come natural when you're going into either one of those states of disassociation yes. or heightened, you know, expression. That's right. It is a skill and it is called mindfulness and it is not taught very often in American schools, that is changing, largely because of the pioneering work of a neuroscientist named Dan Siegel. That's changing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so here's what's really cool about this conversation up to this point. You've said a few terms that people kind of throw out mindfulness, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you, there, there's, been, there's been some things that just are, we've almost assumed that everybody understands yeah, what yeah, exactly yeah. this is, but you've explained these very well for us to be able to actually understand, like, actually know undergirding, like what is this that is going on? What is this? How is this term defined? Okay. Yes. And I think that's so helpful because what I've found in some of the different church circles that, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate enough to kind of bounce around into is that there's, there's resistance to some of this conversation Yes, in, in church circles. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. I'm sure you found that as well. Can you, yes. can you just give us kind of your evaluation of that? Why, why does there seem to be resistance and, and why in your, I mean, I'm assuming in your opinion, there shouldn't be resistance, right? Because, you know, I'm of the opinion that uh, science tells us, oh, that's how God Design this to work, right? That should yeah. they should coexist yeah. and integrate very seamlessly. But can you can yeah. why why the resistance to this, and especially in church, or in church circles? Yeah, sure. Um, I will quote my friend and mentor Dan Allender: um, "The truth is largely lacking in our world, and most people aren't fond of it, and mm. that includes most Christians." Most Christians do not want to feel what's happening in their bodies as a result of their day at work, with their kids, with their spouse, with their prayer time in God. Most hmm. Christians do not 
have the courage to be honest about what they are actually feeling in their bodies as they go about their day. Hmm. Do you feel like it's always and been that's that way? Sad. Oh, uh, was there any I point in history I mean, where we were always been better versed at this, you know, like, or is this, I'm not a historian. <laughs> I, there are pockets. I mean, you know, there are, there are, there are authors you can read at, at, you know, going back to the right. early desert church fathers to, and mothers to, you know, the Richard roars of today. There are people right. today and, you know, 1750 who wrote about this stuff yeah. and experienced it and, and, and commented and lamented on, you, you know, look, the truth is lacking mm. and people don't around me don't want to feel. Uh, so I don't know that we're any, you know, worse than or better than, in pa times past, but I'm not a historian. I, I I do have a pretty good sense of what's happening and been happening in what I'll call the white evangelical church over yeah. the past 30 years because I've been a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Now you were about to say that's that's sad because I'm sorry I, I cut you off there. It's Didn't sad. It here's here's why it's sad. Yeah, here's why it's sad. Couple reasons. Number one, the Bible includes a ton yeah. of language of people being incredibly honest yeah. about their big feelings. The book of Psalms, Lamentations, the book of Job. Look, there are pockets in Jeremiah. There are There is a, a, a ton right. of language in the scripture that is acute, visceral, gritty expressions of rage at other people who have done the psalmist an injustice. Yeah. In fact, there are more verses in the Psalter either asking God to deal with your enemies or praising God for dealing with your enemies than anything else. Wow. <laughs> the reason it's sad, one of the reasons the state of Christians' relationship to their emotions is sad is because it's unbiblical. But the other reason it's sad, frankly, is because it's 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 ultimately birthed in fear, a fear that and shame that that my big emotions are not welcome in my church, in my community, in my small group, with my friends. That if I told them what I really felt inside, yeah, and all my envy and all my shame and all, all you know all my sorrow that i wouldn't be welcomed in this community any longer and that's uh, that is so antithetical to what jesus came to do on the earth that it it enrages me hey friends does your church need resources in order to meet people in their pain and trauma okay Stop what you're doing for just a second if that's the case. I know you're probably multitasking, doing something else while you're listening to this podcast, but especially if you're a pastor or church leader, listen in. At Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we are passionate about helping people heal. But the only thing that we might be more passionate about is helping your church become an environment where people can heal, which is why we offer our Pain to Purpose course for churches. With the Pain to Purpose course for churches, you will get everything you need to facilitate a proven pathway to lead people through trauma and grief and get them back on mission. 
What you may or may not realize is that unaddressed trauma is holding back an overwhelming amount of people in your church and keeping them from fully walking in their purpose. And I know you want to unleash people on mission, but they can't because they haven't healed from their trauma. Now, the Pain to Purpose course gives your church body the tools it needs to identify and unpack trauma in a safe environment and apply sound scriptural principles to their pain for the purpose of moving through it. Now imagine doing all of this within your spiritual community. What makes this course so unique is that Pain to Purpose offers a broader, more holistic approach to addressing the common denominators of pain, no matter what the specifics may be. With the Pain to Purpose course, your church will have all the tools it needs to, to start helping people in their journey from pain to purpose right now. If you're ready to see healing take place within the walls of your church, connect with us today and let us show you how the Pain to Purpose course may be the resource that you've been missing. You can learn more by visiting nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Right there, you can learn more and you can sign up for one of our demo calls. I'd love to connect with you personally on one of those calls. People are hurting. We as the church should be the first place that they can find the tools they need to move from pain to purpose. Let's have a conversation about how we can help your church do just that. Connect with us today at nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash churches to find out how. Yeah, and it almost is one of those things where you look, I mean, when you recognize that, you go, how did it wind up here? That's right. Yes. Yes. How do we get so yeah. far away from the community that Jesus created or the community communities yeah. that he spawned directly in the early church that became a safe haven for the broken? Yep. So you, you kind of brought up a, and you may have indirectly brought this up, but you know, a lot of folks who are listening to this, they have, um, been wounded or, or, or hurt or abused, you know, by an actual perpetrator, someone who, you know, much of their wounding is, is not necessarily, it's not self-inflicted. It's someone else has inflicted this on them. Um, there, there's, it seems to be, um, this seems to be a place that the enemy really loves to, um, kind of creep into our lives, uh, leveraging these types of woundings. Yes. Um, and, yes. And so I'm, I'm hearing you say, right. It's, a, you know, we, we see an example of the psalmists who were like, for instance, break the teeth of my enemies. Right. And yet that's right. That's right. It also doesn't seem on the other end of the spectrum, healthy or, or, or wholesome of us to, you know, kind of sit with that type of bitterness as well. It, it, it seems to lead to our undoing. So what's the, what's the, I guess the role of, of evil in our lives or and when we find ourselves in those kinds of situations, what, what do we, how do we begin to untangle that? I mean, I'm in a situation like that, literally Adam next week at the, at the time of this recording, I'm going to be sitting in court at my late wife's trial. That's right. And I, yes. and I'm going to be, staring the the person who murdered her right. in the face right and so right yeah 
every day I'm having to live with it. Every day I'm having to wake up to that reality that she's gone and that somebody, right. it was at the hand of somebody else. Now I'm actually staring at that person, spending a week That's in the right. same room with that person, right? That's not good yep. for my soul unless I approach it differently, mm -hmm. right? How would you, mm -hmm. as someone who is helping people learn their stories, discover their stories, recognize perpetrators in their life in some instances where they didn't recognize it before, then begin to untangle that and live that out differently. Yeah. So I, I have never had to do what you are going to do next week. Never done that. I have never had to look at the person who took my bride, my partner from me. Um, the closest I have come to that is I have had to look at my father mm -hmm. who, who, who physically abused me, emotionally, verbally abused me, terrorized me. Yeah. But I have not had to do what you're going to have to do next week. Um, I know a few people who have. And ironically, one of them was a client. Um, so you would have to teach me there what it's been like for you leading up to that, what it will be like next week, what it will be like as you ponder and process that day, you know, in two weeks. Yeah. Well, let, let's take it out of what for a lot of people would seem like an extreme case, right? I mean, I will say this. What I try to help people understand is everybody's experience of pain is going to be different, but don't compare pain, right? In fact, that can mm -hmm. often yeah. cause us to diminish the experience of our own pain when we look at somebody else and go, wow, I've never had to go through what you've had to go through, right? And so we, therefore, we, just, right. we don't even acknowledge or get curious about our own pain. So there are That's a lot right. of people who are listening to this. Most people who are listening to this who have not experienced that level of you know, that, or that type of perpetration, but a lot of people have experienced right. a close family member, someone who should have provided protection and right. safety yep. and, and, yep. um, and fostered a sense of that, that safe haven in, in their upbringing. And they're having to face that person at Thanksgiving or face that person at Christmas or be in yes. that person's life yes. consistently Yes, and that not undo right. them. So mm -hmm. what, how do you, I, I, how how do you do that, right? Because we'd rather go. I'm just going to avoid them. Yes. Yeah, you're saying it really well. That's what most Christians do with those who have harmed them deeply. They withdraw and avoid. That's not what God did with Israel. Very often. And it's never what God did with Israel ultimately. In other words, there, Frank, a lot of people don't realize this, but there are times in God's relationship with Israel where he withdrew from them because he could not bear their perpetration, but he always returned. And mm. in many ways, if you read the Old Testament, like cover to cover, in many ways, what the Old Testament is fundamentally about is the change wrought 
in the heart of God as he is wrestling with what to do with his beloved people who will not respond to him in faithfulness. And he is torn. There's no one more ambivalent than God in the Old Testament. So with that kind of as, as, as preface, what you're inviting the listeners into is to grapple with their posture towards those who have harmed them, whether it's a father, a mother, a grandfather, or a coworker, or a, a pastor, to grapple with what is your posture toward the person who has severely harmed you. Yeah. And um, the first step and the most important step in navigating that question is you need to determine something of the heart of that person because Jesus treated people differently mm. based on their heart. And... I, I did a five-part series of episodes on this very question because it's so, it comes up in therapy, in my therapy room so many times. Mm -hmm. I was just like, look, I need to you know, put this out there. Yeah. And it's, I think it's called like, uh, how do you engage someone who's harmed you or something like that? Mm -hmm. Part one through five. But the, the first step is you have to determine, is this person what I call, or I think Dan Allender called it, a garden variety center? In other words, is this person someone who has the willingness to own and rectify the harm they have done? Wow. If not, if, if this person is not someone where you have any data that they are willing to suffer the feeling of shame, healthy shame, yeah. So that they are convicted in their heart, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean. I, I I didn't I didn't mean to do that. Tell me more about that. What was that like for you? How can I make this right? If that is not the posture of the person who has wounded you, then that person is, in biblical language, wicked. Mm. And you need to engage with a wicked person very differently than engaging with a garden variety center. And, you know, you see that with Jesus. He engaged Pharisees very different than the woman at the well, yeah. very differently. So differently, it's like it's a different person. Right, right. Hmm. What does that mean, though? So, I mean, even as you say that, I'm sure there are people who are going, oh, I recognize the people in my life that are, biblically speaking, wicked, right? You've just delineated that for me. Oh, I recognize the people in my life that, okay, that are, that I should engage with. Practically speaking, yeah. what, what is the difference between how I engage with each one of those? Well, with, like if, if, if my wife harms me, when my wife harms me, like I can say to her, ouch, that hurt. Yeah. And she will hear what I'm saying and the, the, the part of her brain called the resonance circuitry will allow her to feel something in her body of what it must have been like for me when she said that cruel thing or did that cruel thing. And that will cause in her heart, in her gut, what the Bible calls conviction of sin. And you know that felt sense of like, ugh, like yeah. I hurt someone, ugh. 
Yeah. And 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 from that that belly place come the words I'm sorry or I was wrong. Or how can I make this right? How can I do this differently? What do you need from me so that this doesn't happen again? All right? That that's my wife. Like I can say that to her. Ouch. And yeah. she will respond with conviction and, and and an attempt to repair and make it right. That's holy. That's so beautiful when that happens. Not all people are willing to do that. Yeah. And that is what puts them in this, this other category uh, that I call wicked. Yeah. Um, the fundamental, you know, most people, when they think of wicked people, they think, oh, that means people that do really bad things to lots of people. Mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Wicked people, the mark of a wicked person is not doing really bad things lots of the time. The mark of a wicked person is the unwillingness to tolerant, tolerate a sense of shame and guilt and feel what the Bible calls conviction of sin. Mm. And, you know, it says that the job of the Spirit is to convict the, the world of guilt with regard to sin. That's what it's wow. that That's what this is talking about. That's what this yeah. is. And when you when you when you say no to that, when your spirit won't let that in, wow. The language in the Bible is hardened of heart, or it's also called the blasphemy of the spirit. Mm. There's no way to move forward relationally with someone like that. Mm. Wow. So I'm assuming I know there's a lot of people who would want me to ask this question. Say there's a someone who's experienced a sexual betrayal or some kind of betrayal from a spouse. Yeah, and there's yeah, there is that evidence of remorse. They're taking on that. They're having the courage to take on that yeah. shame. They're you know I yeah. I am so sorry for for what I've done and how how this has affected you. They're displaying that, but um. Maybe they're not demonstrating change or not demonstrating mm -hmm. change to the, at the pace that the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the other, the partner would want them to. Is there yeah. a certain, is there a certain way to handle those kinds of situations? I mean, I know every situation's unique, so there's a lot of nuance in that, of course, but is there, are there, are there like guiding principles that can help us to know? Because this isn't just one momentary instance, right? It's there's the right there's the carrying out of this as well, and the living in relationship and in community and intimacy, and you know, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, your question gets at the very complex and mysterious dynamics of a marriage. Yeah, and this is a very hard truth to come to terms with. But people who are harmed by their spouse deeply, you know, deep betrayals, um, they have to ask themselves, how did I allow this to happen? And I am in no way saying it, it's their fault. You know, if your spouse cheated on you, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm saying right. there has to be a curiosity about, because nobody has an affair or, or right. develops a pornography addiction overnight, okay? Right. These things, the, the seeds of it, 
you can see it in retrospect, you know, year five of my marriage, year seven, year eight. And there has to be a curiosity of why, how did that occur? Because every marriage is a dance and both people, both partners yeah. are participating in that dance. Yeah. So again, I'm in no way assigning blame to someone who has been traumatized or wounded by their spouse. But you have to ask the question of what, how did this happen? Mm. And, and that will inevitably drive you into your story, your mm. story. Wow. And when you've engaged your story, you will be able to engage your spouse differently going forward. I mean, especially for Christians, like of the evangelical stripe, like most in my experience, most Christians are far more committed to the marriage than they are to loving their spouse. Mm. To say it differently, if you have never thought about divorcing your spouse, I question your commitment to them. Mm. To unpack that, <laughs> say that again, because that <laughs> seemed like a very if contrary statement. Have, it is, I, I know it's paradoxical. If you yeah. have never thought about divorcing your spouse, I question your commitment to loving that person. Mm. I would be very curious about your commitment, maybe to the, you know, your, your I, I believe that you might be committed to the marriage yeah. um, and to staying married, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls you to love your spouse. That's very different than staying married mm. to them. And so we are, you know, we're, we are sinful people and nowhere does our sin manifest more dramatically than in marriage, mm. than in close intimate relationships? Yeah. And and so if it, you know, if you've been with somebody for 20 years and you can this happens with my clients all the time. I will simply say to them <laughs> all the time, I will say, if you're I'm working with a man, for example, if your wife was sitting, I'm pointing to the chair. I've got two chairs here <laughs> where they sit. If your wife was sitting there and I asked her or rather, I asked you, the husband, to prove to me that she's a sinner. Could you do it? <laughs> I can't tell you how many people are silent for minutes. That is deeply problematic. That's going back to the Barbara Kingsolver quote about illusions mistaken wow. for truth. Many, many Christians are very unwilling to honestly look at the depravity in the hearts of their spouse uh, because, well, there's a lot of reasons, but an unwillingness to look at that will, it'll keep you from, you know, divorcing them, but it will also keep you from loving them mm. because your task as a spouse is to present your spouse to Jesus holier than when you met them. And you mm. can't do that unless you are aware of their idolatries and their sin. Wow. Hmm. So frankly, most of what we call love is rather anemic. Yeah. It's niceness. It's, I'm not gonna say anything that'll upset you. That's not love, that's cowardice. Hmm. Hmm. Man. This is one of those moments where um, you don't want to be the podcast host because 
you're wanting to internalize what you just said so deeply because it has impacted you so much. Wow. Adam, that man. Listen, I, I could I could sit here and ask you questions for hours and hours and hours. I wish I could take every situation that somebody has brought to us through this ministry, through this pod, podcast and go, hey, Adam, can, what, what would you say about this right here? What would you say about this? This is this has been awesome. We I know we have um we we've got to we've got to finish because of time, but I'm so grateful for even the time that you spent sharing with us. And I know we bounced around in a billion different places. I didn't even get to half the questions I had for you. Um, but listen, if you're uh, I know everybody who is listening to this has been impacted by this conversation. You need to go and listen to Adam's podcast, the place we find ourselves. It is hands down one of the best podcasts that are out there. Um, and I don't just say that to to flatter you, man. It really is. And, um, and so, um, where else can people follow what you're doing? Where, where can we just kind of tune in to you a little bit more? I'm on Instagram at, at Adam Young Counseling. Um, and then I've got my website, adamyoungcounseling.com, which has got, if you're interested, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, Hey, I do want to explore my story. I've got some great resources. They're free that can help you start that process on my website. Wow. That's awesome. Man, thank you so much. Seriously. Uh, this has been really, really profound for me personally. I know for everybody who's listening to this. And so thanks so much for spending time with us and being generous with that, with, with your limited time. Awesome. It's been fun for me, Davey. You're a great interviewer. What a wonderful conversation. I told you guys that it's not going to disappoint. Adam, if you haven't heard of Adam, you know, I'd, I hadn't really been tuned into his stuff until our content producer was like, hey man, you've got to listen to some of the stuff that Adam is doing and we've got to have him on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And so started tuning in, started reading his stuff and was just blown away by it. And of course, blown away by that conversation. Um, specifically, you know, one of the things that I loved that we talked about right there is the difference between adversity and trauma. And I thought he defined that and delineated those things for us so well, that often those two things to, in today's age, they, they can begin to get, um, those terms get swapped around and they are two very distinct things. You know, we, we all experienced, we all experience adversity. We're all going to experience difficult times. You know, Jesus even said it in this world, you will have sorrow, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Trauma involves a helplessness or a powerlessness and an abandonment by people who could have protected or cared for the person who's experienced trauma. Okay. So adversity is the challenges that we face and trauma is distinct from that. And I think this is important for us to delineate so that we don't label certain things, just label adversity as trauma and, um, and, and thereby over inflate what, what we're going through. Okay. But I also think it's important the other way around to label trauma, trauma, and not just adversity, not just going through a hard time. Because if we don't call it what it is, we'll fail to do the deep dive that we need to, to experience the healing that God wants us to heal, that God wants us to experience. And so I think it's really important. I think, I think this just gives us good language to begin to go, okay, what I'm experiencing right now, is it actually trauma or, or is this adversity? Is this a difficult time? And so I'm, I'm so grateful, Adam, for helping us to delineate that 
so that we can appropriately apply the right. It's almost like when you go see a doctor and it's like, hey, here's kind of my quote unquote diagnosis. What's the proper medication or prescription that I need to apply to this? We don't want to misappropriately prescribe certain healing methodologies to something that it's not. And so um, I think that's a, a very important concept for us to be able to do this. Uh, so that just incredible. Thanks so much, Adam, for sharing your wisdom with us in this. Um, man, if, if you are struggling right now and, and, and we can help you in any way, we'd love to help people partner with God to take back their story. And we want to help you with that. If you're experiencing some kind of pain, hardship, loss, some kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition, we'd love to get connected with you. Go to nothingiswasted.com. You can get connected there. In fact, you can get connected to our um, uh, bi-monthly, I guess that twice a month, I'm not sure if that's the right term, webinar that we do, the Zoom call that we do called Five Steps to Taking Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. If you're looking for a place to get started, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download and stream his music anywhere where you can download and stream music. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davy Blackburn and follow Aubrey at Obsamp. Want to make sure that you take a moment. If you're watching this on YouTube, take a moment to like and subscribe on YouTube if you're just listening to this on the podcast. Uh, whatever channel you listen to this, make sure you review and rate this podcast. It helps to put this into the purview of so many people that need to hear these wonderful stories of healing and redemption. Next week, we have an incredible conversation with David Thomas, who is a counselor in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I was blown away by this. Go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with David. And think about it, you know, for example, a lot, we're here, here we are recording right now, you and I on the front side of the school year, and there are thousands of kids out there who are having anxiety about going to school and and some kids who are struggling to get out of the car every morning, not a few tears, sobbing uncontrollably. Some are gripping the car door as parents try to pry them out, you know, a lot of fear and worry about going into that context. And, you know, if a parent were to make the decision, and I want to be very clear as I say this. To say, okay, fine, we're just going to pull out of school. We're just going to homeschool, which hear me say very clearly, homeschooling is a great option if chosen for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. It's not a good option if it's just you're afraid to go to school, so I'm going to pull you out altogether because you see where that would be confirming that definition. School's way too scary. You're not capable as opposed to you're capable. It's not too scary. And so – Think on that in all the different contexts where you're seeing kids face worry, come up against fear, experiencing anxiety. That's, that's, that's something that I hope could be helpful as parents are navigating that space.